show presents TKO, together with 32 Red. Welcome to round four of TKO here on Joe, together with 32 Red. This week, we're in Bradford to talk about one of the most important issues in the sport of boxing. Um, Carl, we saw most recently Adonis Stevenson, the uh, light heavyweight world champ, um, suffer brain injury um, in a contest. And a highlight is just once again, although these injuries are few and far between, they're an important topic in the sport of boxing and, and that the dangers, as we know, are very real. Yeah, it's almost a, a taboo subject. Um, especially amongst boxers and people involved in the game, but it's something that needs to be spoken about. And uh, I'm very interested to um, speak to the man we're going to speak to today. And the man we are going to speak to is Jerome Wilson. had a bleed on the brain in 2014, and has never really been the same since. He's invited us into his home with his partner, Michelle Boyce. Uh, should we go and meet him? Let's go. Let's do it. So, for those of you listening, we are now uh, in the house of uh, Jerome and Michelle. Thank you very much for having us into your lovely home. It's fine. Um, let's start, first of all, you guys have been together for over 10 years. Where did you meet? Funny one. It's, it's down to you, that, though. It, um, there was a social media platform called um, MySpace. Are you familiar with yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically, she liked my picture, and she got in contact with me that way. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, anyway, we got talking. <laughs> And then we just started sharing messages between each other. And we, we, we got on. So we decided yeah, just to... Yeah, we talked to, for about nine weeks before we met, didn't we? Yeah, before did we he, meet up. That's play, it. Cool. Can, can I just yeah. butt in early? That's the exact same story as me and my missus, only really? not MySpace, Bebo. Remember Bebo? Oh, oh, oh. Did you get on Bebo? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> the younger version this is going. This is going back. <laughs> I don't think I had that one. <laughs> you did. You did. I didn't use it, though. No, but you did have it. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty. That's a pretty interesting way to meet. Yeah, yeah so you kept, like said. You said the women are the hunters, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, kind of She's the one friends. that made the first move. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. No, it isn't. Oh, it's not. Come on, you have to admit. Yeah, we, we kind of <laughs> were talking for about nine weeks, and then we decided to meet because we got on quite well. Mm. Uh, so we went to the cinema. Mm. What did you like about him? And then I never got rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know, it didn't look anything like his picture. I was quite shocked. Oh. Because the, the, at that time, the profile picture was quite well built and really muscly and I was expecting this really big man. Mm. And when they came, I was like... Oh no, that's not the son of version. But yeah, so when they took, his, when they took his top off, his arms were really big, but it was quite deceiving when he had a, a shirt on. So, hmm. yeah. There we go. And then how, so how long have you been together now? 11 years. Mm. So 11 years later, here we are. Uh, so a lot has happened in that oh, 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you first met, you were, a, you were a fighter, but you hadn't turned professional, oh, would you? That's correct. Okay. I'm a personal trainer, well, fitness instructor, sports coach as well. So, so what, what, was the, what was the first draw of, of boxing for you? First time. Um, what attracted you to the sport? Well, it was my group of friends that lived around the area of um, Hyde Park, Wyburn area in Sheffield. Um, they live around there, so they, a new gym was opening up. So they went to it. They thought, oh, we'll bring Jerome along, ask him if, if, they wanna, if, if I want to come, come along with them. So um, it's probably about six of us or so. We went along to the gym, and I fell in love with it. They were showing um, the ropes, just footwork, the bags and things like that, and I just thought felt it felt comfortable, felt natural, um, and I and I found it quite I don't know 
it was um it just felt felt right. Mm. You know what I mean? It how, just old, felt right. how old were you? I was fifteen, going on sixteen. So I was still late on quite well I was never interested in boxing or um, previous before that. I was always done like martial arts, like karate and things like that. My dad taught me how to do karate because he was a karate instructor back in the day as well. Mm. I was, so he's always been interested in fitness and looking after himself and things like that. But um, that was the first time you know, I went into the gym. It was training well, the trainers was um, Dave Caldwell and Chris Medley. So them two had the partnership together. Um, there was a group of lads in there that, that they were very good, very talented. I saw how they were moving about and hitting each other and having a laugh. So there was a buzz. It was like a like a bit of a like a family, like mm. a family environment where there was no massive egos. There wasn't anything there, but I could say just a lot of good banter, mm. really. And then that's that's what kept drawing me to it. You, know? I, you found that I know in the last sort of year or so that. The camaraderie and that spirit in in a gym is as important as your love for the sport. Yeah, right? I, I loved it when I was an amateur and and we were you know your mm-hmm. teammates and it was like a, it was like a family like amateur boxing clubs are like mm-hmm. um, there's so many different types of people coming in and out the door. But mm-hmm. it, in my pro career, I never really had that until the last sort of year and a half, two years with with Jamie Moore, and I'm really enjoying it. the good guys around, mm-hmm. good funny guys, and the camaraderie is. Is uh, I think that's something that I would miss um, mm. when when I decide to hang them up. You know. Yeah, I, I suppose the one thing you guys have got in common as well is you got very supportive other halves, and you know we, we, we talk about how difficult a fighters' journey is, but we don't often hear about how difficult it is for the partners of mm-hmm. of fighters. And I always remember seeing Melissa Guzman, Miguel Cotto's wife, the, the like emotional roller coaster she had to go on because of the kind of career and kind of fighter he was, and you said how difficult. It was for Christine in the Josh Warrington fight because that was your toughest fight to date. How did you feel when, I guess there's a point you had a discussion that he was first going to turn professional? To be fair, back then, I didn't really think too much about it. To be Mm. fair, I didn't really... Let's say I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just going to be like a hobby type thing that... And to be fair, with the... um, Fights, they weren't that bad up until the mm. surge fight, mm. and that's when I sat back and thought, I don't like this. Is that the first one that was brutal. The first fight, yeah, the first fight. So, because for people that don't know, of course, mm-hmm. the, the man that ended up injuring you yeah. with the injury you have now, you had two fights with him. So, Serge and Bombay, mm-hmm. um, Cameroonian uh, fighters, yeah, Cameroon. I think he boxed in the Olympics, Olympics. and then he overstayed, so he stayed here with a group of. Other, other competitors. He did defected, didn't he? Yeah, defected, yeah. That's it. Um, and he managed to get gain. A, is it asylum? Right. Yeah, he managed to gain asylum. Yeah. So he was here in Sheffield as well, and you guys yeah. met, and that was a, a six rounder, very yeah. close, very good fight. That first yeah. one. Um, it's competitive for the fans. It was for the fans, mm-hmm. of course, and that's that's where we need to make the distinction mm. because I can remember seeing an interview with you. Where you said. Mm. That was the first time when he he came home and there was yeah, there was, was real to, to talk to me about the aftermath of that. Mm. He couldn't even take his clothes off. It was that bad. I mm. had to take his clothes off, lay him on the bed, and go out and buy like Epsom salts for the bath. Just mm. it was absolutely battered, but he didn't look it. But his body and they were like 
I don't know, bruises. like whip marks and bruises all yeah. over his back. And, Think ropes. Rope yeah, bruises. Rope and, and he just... Yeah. That's the first time I've really seen any kind of injury. Mm. In every single fight, it's never been where I've been, like, you know, wincing mm. behind people or... Um, he might have a little bit of a, a mark on his lip or maybe a, a bit of a swollen mm. eye, but nothing that made me scared. And that was the first time you That were... was the first time. With that fight, I fought a different type of fight. All previous fights, I was always, always taught to hit and not get hit. Mm. So move around, land my shots, be more of a thinking fighter. But um, I think they say styles make fights, don't they? And it was like, with his kind of style, it was, I was moving around. The first round, totally outboxed him. Second round, I got a bit drawn in. He was very strong. So when I was landing the shots, he had a massive head. It's huge, wasn't it? Yeah, it was solid. Yeah. And then I give away five pounds for that fight actually in the first one, um, but every, when I was throwing the shots, I was just basically bouncing off him. I've got a bit of force behind behind my punch, but just bouncing off him. I did drop him in the first round. They recorded it as one knockdown, but I did get him twice. Um, but it was just it was like toe to toe, a lot of action. There was um, a lot of throw, a lot of shots were being thrown. Both of us were landing. Um, and it was just a bit of like a... It was like one of them edgy seat I think, fights. Yeah, I think for me... Mm. I mean, fans will probably disagree, but for me, I think he did enough to walk away from that. I don't think he needed to rematch. Mm. And I said that at the time. I didn't, I didn't feel he needed to rematch him because, if anything, I thought that were a draw. If not a win for him, I didn't think... <laughs> looking at the fight I don't think I need to revisit that fight you felt he had I nothing he left to enough. prove yeah I thought he'd done enough to but, walk away from that but it's the fighter's mentality as, as you know if you lose a, a close fight that you feel you could win mm. you just have to presumably make amends mm. I think so well, I lost my last fight that wasn't close so I was mm. big pretty convincingly but if I could offer the fight tomorrow I would take exactly. it again and that's I think that's just something that's in, inside fighters. I know mm-hmm. my wife wouldn't be very happy about that and similar to what you're saying. Yeah, but that's so. something something that we've got in there and we want to prove wanna, like, people yeah, wrong, wrong, right or wrong. Yeah. Mm. I think the second time around as well, there was a lot of goading, weren't they, on social media? Mm, that was his partner you know, yeah, at the time. Yeah, you know, so it was <laughs> like just trying to wind up the situation. But I didn't think it needed to be revisited. Mm. Personally, and of course, in hindsight, you, you know that, that that decision in your head is, is vindicated, right? No, it changed everybody's lives, didn't it? So let, let's talk about the the night. I know you obviously don't have any <coughs> memories of of the fight itself, yeah. but you've watched it back, presumably. Yeah, I've watched the fight back. It's, it was four months later, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like um, the rematch. The fight, I have no recollection of the fight whatsoever. But when I've when I've been given a copy of the actual fight, I had to watch it just to see how I was fighting, how the fight went on, and how my, how my life nearly came to an end, basically. Mm. I just wanted to see it. So I watched the fight. It's like watching, um, it was like watching somebody possessing my body because normally I remember, you know, different parts of a fight. I don't remember every single thing. It's like a bit of a blur. Mm. But, um, but when I was watching that fight back, it was like, that's not me. It's not me. So, I'm like, and I was thinking, why didn't I move this way? Why didn't I move that way? And I was like, you no, know, critiquing myself. It was like it was it was quite it's quite I don't know, hard to watch, but at the same time it was necessary. Mm. 
we were talking about the difficulties of, of you you know watching your fights back, well, that, the ones you've lost for the first time yeah I think it's easier to watch the ones that you've you've won um, mm. I I lost to Santa Cruz it took me a number of months to watch I still haven't watched the Warrington fight which I'm no. sure I'll have to do at some point but it just feels at this point it's still a little bit raw so mm. completely understandable where, mm. where you're coming from so uh, there were concerns that you had going into to the fight and you sent some messages to your stepson yeah, that's um, correct. beforehand. I mean, am I right in saying that part of those concerns that you had were because of the some of the damage you sustained in that first fight? You, you feel you just had a sixth sense that something might not be I right? Don't know. The mind is a powerful thing, you know. and I'd never done that before. Never I think done that before. you were going into quite yeah, a hard fight, didn't you? Yeah, I knew, but... I, at the same time, I know I prepared well for it. And at the same time, I thought also, I said, my boxing ability and being able to manoeuvre and move around the ring and outbox, I thought we were going to outbox him still, you know, throughout. It was, um, anyway, I, still, I had no fear or anything whatsoever, even knowing that the first fight was a very brutal fight. But I just had to, had to send them the, the message just to, I, don't know, it I think just... it's because he had people close to him as well that mm. didn't want him to do it, and we've never said anything before. We, you know, that that's the first mm. time I've ever said, "I don't want you to do this one." Okay, what, what did because the message... I was pregnant as well at the time, right? Um, so I kept having really funny dreams, mm. and I dreamt that it'd be it, this fight had taken place, and it, it'd end up really poorly in hospital. Um, and I woke up in the middle of the night and rung mm. him and said, "I really don't want you to do this fight." So I mm. think. He added that added pressure as well from me saying I didn't want mm-hmm. him to do it. I think your mum were a bit against it, weren't she? Mm-hmm. So this message you you sent a text to your yeah, so some, yeah, Calvin. It was just basically just saying if anything was to happen to me, just got a long story short, just make sure you step up and yeah, you do well. Cause I said I've been hard on you in the past, you know, because I want to teach him the right from wrong. Um, he was only young at the time, so it's just. I just want him to just basically just make sure that everybody's looked after. Do you know what I mean? If something bad was to happen to me. And I, don't, I still I don't, I can't get my head around why I went into so much detail in the mes- message. I don't understand it. But it just, I just at the time, it was just, just, it was just one of the things you just do. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I just did it. We, we've spoken about, you know, I've always said to you, do, do you ever fear the outcomes of, of boxing and you've always said you know you can't because if you did you, you wouldn't get in there in the first place but mm. is there ever a moment before you fight whether in fight week or on the night that you just have that kind of moment with Christine and the kids just in case um, it always gets a bit lovey-dovey and stuff with, with your missus and you send nice messages and she'd be nice back and I think fighters are in a their frame of mind going into effect obviously they're focused on winning but mm. Um, I don't know about other fighters, but you don't, you just don't believe it can happen to yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's you correct. Just, and and, it, can, and it can happen. As, as mm. you know, we're sitting here talking to you today, and it's happened to you. But yeah. you just think, right? And you feel sorry and you feel sad when it does mm. happen. But you just don't believe that that can happen to you. And I think mm. everyone probably thinks along those lines. Every every fighter. Mm-hmm. I think you, the families think that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would never have thought this would have happened. Never. Yeah, you worried about it. I worried because I thought it, it would get hurt from the first <clears throat> time, but not in that mm. league. So you, 
talk me through the fight as you, as you remember it. If it's specifically <coughs> also, yeah. Um, it was in the sixth round that it, it happened. Um, so what? I mean, the, the floor is yours, really. Talk me through what what you remember of, of that sixth round. Um, from probably from the second round, I wanted him out of there. I said to everybody, "You need to get him out of there." I don't something because he'd gone down and he'd gone down first first on the second round. Um, and that's the first time I've seen him do that in the whole time. So I was like, this ain't going to end well. You need to get him out. Um, why ain't anyone throwing towel in? It's, it shouldn't be carrying on. Um, and, of course, it was our daughter's first time we, that we'd taken her to see a fight. She was three at the time. I was pregnant and I also had my eldest son with us um, and my dad. So from the second round, I was kind of not comfortable watching it. I was kind of like trying to shield her because she didn't like it at that point. She were obviously <coughs> her dad, she'd mm. seen him and I was just trying to kind of mask, you know, that he wasn't that bad, he'd just fallen over. Um, and then obviously the fight progressed and it got into the sixth round and all I could think was, just please hurry up and ring that bell. And I think we were so close to that bell. Mm. And that next minute, it was just chaos. He'd it, obviously gone gone down, but at that point, because I was quite far away from the ring, um, I couldn't see through the crowds of people where he wore or what had happened. So I'd given my little girl to my son to keep hold of. Um, and I tried to run up to the ring and I got stopped by um, Ross Birkinshaw and his wife Nicola and he kind of grabbed hold of me and said no Michelle come here um, and then next thing there were just like loads of people there were medics trainers security men and you just couldn't get anywhere close mm. um, I don't know, and it just seemed like time stood still for quite a while. And then they stretched him out into, like, um, a private kind of ambulance at the back. Um, and the security men were there, and they were saying that only one person could go with him. Um, so there was me, his mum, and his brother. So we all kind of said, you know, let his brother go because he were slightly calmer than what we were. Um, and I obviously needed to find my other kids because I'd just left them and ran. Um, and then it was just like absolute chaos when I walked back through the arena type thing. The, the, the crowd was just going mad against the people that had come to see Serge and... Because at that time, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the fight. I didn't know at the time what he'd done mm. um, because I didn't see that. But um, obviously the crowd had seen what he'd done afterwards. So the crowd was going absolutely mental and I was just trying to get through them to get to somebody that could take me to a hospital to follow him up. Mm. So, yeah, it, were, it was, I don't know, it was really surreal. It was just like... You're placed in a situation, but it's like nothing's moving. In those next seven days, and then, unbelievably, a kind of 
tense for you because you have no idea. No. So you mentioned the, the, the celebrations that Serge made. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a young fighter called Tiafumo Lopez who won in uh, quite emphatic fashion four or five weeks ago now and sort of made inappropriate celebrations and he was under a lot of criticism from that. I remember Steve Bunt saying, you know, to, those those kind of celebrations should be reserved for the dressing room after mm-hmm. you know a fight is safe. Yeah. He obviously didn't know what had happened to you and what, what, mm-hmm. what had gone on, but his celebrations were inappropriate nonetheless. Definitely. From what I was told and I've seen seen the, the footage, yes, I was I was gone. So I looked dead. When I, I remember watching myself and when I landed on that canvas, I said to myself, that person looks dead. How I landed and my head bounced and I just laid still. I had my gum shield in my mouth. And then for him to come over to me, to a body that's on the canvas, my eyes weren't open. It leans, leans over, kisses my forehead. Then he just does the cutthroat gestures to the, to the crowd. That's... I've got my mom in the, in the arena, I've got my brother, I've got my partner, I've got my, my daughter, I've got other supporters there. And for them to... Who care for me? For them to actually witness somebody actually doing that in a sport, professional sport, I'm talking about it now, it's, 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 it's sickening. Yeah. I, I could never do that myself to any other fighter. I've never done it. I've knocked somebody out badly. Sparring in, in, a, in a fight, I could never to jump up and down when someone's being badly knocked down like that. It's unforgivable. Different type but of people, though. I couldn't yeah. do What's your first thought when you knock some, if you if you knock somebody out, what's the first thing you think? I think, I don't know what the thought is. I suppose it depends. If, I, but the, the, you, if, if someone's visibly mm. really hurt, bad, lamb, eyes closed, the last thing you do is celebrate, mm. really. I mm. think the, the, the Lopez one that you were talking about, um, I don't think I think a bit was made of it. I don't think it was as bad as what was made out to be. But that mm-hmm. I I haven't seen yeah. the the celebrations from mm-hmm. Serge. But from what you're saying, it sounds absolutely yeah. disgraceful. Right. More fight. importantly, though, the stopped mm-hmm. medics getting stopped medics getting to him at that vital time when he needed mm-hmm. oxygen. It's, he was in the way, you know, showboating when mm-hmm. he needed medical attention. Did it you- took you know, someone to grab hold of him and push him aside and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Did did you think he died at any point? No. I wouldn't allow myself to think that. Yeah. So you're hanging on to that, whatever you can at that, in that week after, in the moments after? Yeah, I mean... Of course, I was scared. I was terrified. Um, But I don't know whether it was because, I mean, obviously Jerome wrote a book and we spoke to a publisher at at the time when his book was getting printed. Um, The dream that I'd had before this fight took place, um, he was obviously at hospital in a coma and I'd kissed his head and said to him, in the dream, don't you dare leave me. And just before the dream ended, he woke up and he was obviously hurt and injured and very, very poorly, but he was alive. And for some reason, when they took me to see him before they transferred him across for surgery, I just felt I had to do the same because I thought, Mm. in my head, the same outcome will come. If I don't do that, 
it could be different. It's like you'd seen it before. Mm. And they do say that when you're pregnant, you do have really real dreams and you can have like premonitions of things when you're pregnant. I don't know why. Um, but I'd, I'd lived it before in that dream. Very strange. It's strange on both Very parts. strange. Yeah, so um, I know Serge got in contact with you. Yeah. This is a while ago now. Yeah. And you thought your feelings towards him then, I guess, were understandably, mm. um, I suppose, soured at the time yeah. because of what happened. Have you, have you any sort of changed thoughts on him? Any, any sort of thought of forgiveness towards him? I don't have no feeling towards him. Um, but to him, what I did say to him, I says. The fight, the fight happened. I says, well done. I said, congratulations for winning me fair and square. You you got the win. A sportsman, like, I said, well done. I says, but the conduct that you showed afterwards, that's unforgivable. I can't forgive that. The fight itself, I've got this injury from boxing. I don't have no animosity towards him for that. It's, my life's changed forever, and it's due to that fight and due to my injury, but still... That's boxing. I knew I'm aware of the risk. You know what I mean? I have to, I have to manage the best I can with with it, with what I've got. You know what I mean? Still be grateful that I'm still alive. But to forgive that, I find it very difficult. And I'm, a, I can be a very forgive. I am a forgiving person. I am a forgiving person. When someone's sincere and they apologise for what they've done, it's not being sincere really to apologise. It was on social media. Sent. He said sorry. But he's not really gone out of his way to try and say, "I'm very sorry for what you've for what for what I did." The con, you know what I mean? You don't need to apologise for me getting the injury. Like I'm saying, he just needs to. He doesn't have to apologise anymore. Really, it's just, it's just. Man, I don't think I can can forgive that. I don't think I can forgive that. <laughs> very difficult. Okay. Um, we were just talking about the, the original injury because you had mm-hmm. a piece of your skull removed yeah. uh, to take the pressure off your brain. But that essentially left a kind of an open space mm-hmm. where your skull was. And you had that for how long? For a year. Um, I had to have that skull taken off my head, quarter of my skull. Uh, cranioplasty, they call it. So it's a bit of the bone flap away. And then during that, that year, it was very... Um, I looked in the mirror and I saw a big crate in my head. And sometimes I would eat food, and yeah, I used no. to see it no. moving like it was. That's insane. Like a, like, I used to say it looks like an alien. Yeah, like aliens like trying. Yeah, you've seen alien where you, that alien tries to come out of a person's yeah. body, and it's like moving around. That's how it seemed. But the the pain that came with that is surreal. I this well. What it's just like, can you describe it? It's it's like. Everything's all connected. It's like sometimes your jaw would just, my jaw would just seize and it would just hold in place. I couldn't eat food. And the pain that, that I got from that was like paralyzing. Um, it would feel like my brain was going to explode. It would feel like ants are running up and down my brain. It'd feel like, it'd feel like um, shooting like signals, you know, shooting electric moving up and down my spine and my head. All different kinds of different kinds of sensations throughout that all the time. Even to this day, I still have experienced similar kinds of pains, different intensity levels all the time. But it's, it's, um, it was, it's very hard, do you know what I mean, to look at. It's the safety yeah. as well, isn't it? The safety aspect. Yeah. 
with having he it didn't, exposed. Yeah. He, he, when he left hospital, mm. he had like this hard hat um, that he had cap. to wear all the time. Mm. Mm. And it did look like a bit like a jockey cap. It was just like inside it was like really hard mm. plastic to protect his skull. Um, and we we did go away not long after the accident um, mm. because it had already been booked. Um, so we, we, we made the decision to go because we all needed a break. Um, Mm-hmm. But, like, he couldn't go in the swimming pool. Um, he mm-hmm. didn't like wearing the hat because it was so hot on his head. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just a safety aspect, you know, when we went on the plane, he took a bit of a funny turn because of the different pressures. Mm-hmm. When we went up in the air, the pressure in his head went. Um, it's, it's felt weird. It's so weird. when we'd landed at the other side, he was quite poorly. Um, so it was it was scary. Because mm. I had a practically newborn baby, him that was having a funny turn, I had the other kids. I was in a mm. foreign country. I didn't know where the hospitals were if I needed mm. to get into a hospital. Mm. Um, Did you have no other help with you, just, just you just and the us, your family? Just us and mm. the kids. So I was um, treating for epilepsy at the time. So yeah, I was at risk was of an, having seizures and things like drugs. that. So it was important that I did have that cap on all times, just in case if I did have a seizure. I didn't want to land and, and cause another bleed. Do you know what I mean? So it was just them kind of worries. Them kind of worries was, that yeah, there is. Yeah, it was just constant was worrying long, all it? the time. Mm. Um, and he did hurt himself once in the house when he didn't yeah. have the hat on, rushed to hospital yeah. um, because he'd banged the part that it yeah. wasn't... I remember you... my lips going all tingling, all my body. I think I was a bit in shock. All my body was, like, shaking and seizing and things like that. And I think that was that was And just around the anxiety. kids, you know, the kids mm. want... I think, you know, I, I think Sereni were three at the time. Kids climb all over you, don't they? Yeah, yeah she threw something and it hit him on side mm. her head. Oh, man. You know, and just mm. general everyday life were just, mm. it were hard work. It were hard work. So you've got the, the, the metal plate there now. So yeah. that's the procedure you had, what, a couple, couple of years ago? 2015. Okay. So it was, yeah, August 2015 I had that. And then I was able to start rehabilitation after that because I wasn't, allowed to have any, um, gain access to the NHS um, rehabilitation until I had the actual plate in my head. Um, so it was a long, long wait. Well, it's it very scary. It's still to this day because I can still, I still feel it. So I, I've got the, I can feel the bolts, I can feel all the scar and it doesn't feel, it feels abnormal, obviously, because it's, it's foreign. It's a foreign object that's in my head. So when I'm laying down and when I'm sleeping, I feel it um, all the time. It, it doesn't feel nice at all. Mm. It's, but I know it's necessary for it to be there to give my brain that bit more protection. But it's just... Uh, it's, I won't yeah, wish it, it on my worst anyway it, it to have anything like that. It's, it's horrible. Like, well, not long after, obviously, didn't have the plate and we'd just had a brand-new baby... He couldn't carry him around or anything. He mm. was frightened to pick him up, you know. And it wasn't like that with us. Obviously, um, the girl that we've got together, he was quite hands-on. He helped out a hell of a lot um, because with the first <clears throat> girl, I'd had a cesarean, so obviously it takes time to recover. With the second uh, little boy, I'd had to have a, an emergency cesarean that time, so obviously... I was trying to recover, but I had him, 
I had a newborn, I had four other children, mm. and it it was just chaos. It mm. was chaos because I was constantly worrying about him. He couldn't obviously take the pressure off me because he couldn't pick that. Because at that time he was on anaesthesia drugs, so he could have had a seizure at any point and dropped the baby. So he couldn't, you know, mm. carry the baby around or care for him or, mm. you know, without me being around. So. Mm. That bit of freedom and yeah, is gone. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's just and that bit of security, and, like confidence and things like this, disintegrates basically because it's not there. So I don't feel. I don't know. I felt like a. I don't know. I felt very broken, very broken and weak, not not strong enough to actually do things that I deemed to be very simple and easy and straightforward before. Just things you take for granted, didn't you, yeah. really? Yeah, the little things become more, more difficult at times. And it's, and it's very hard to, to, know, to explain. You have to experience it first. And when you experience it, you, you gain a bit of, a, of awareness about it. And you know, I know what it means. It's, ah, it's very... It can be hard. So at what point... You're in an induced coma. Yeah. At what point... Did you have any idea that things would be okay, that he would survive? How many days? I think it was maybe 10 or 11 days. So how long did that feel? Mm. Forever. Mm. It was touch and go from the start, though, wasn't it? So yeah, because like... after the surgery, the surgeons came in and spoke to us and mm. basically said, you know, it's, it's the worst possible bleed he could have had. Um, and people don't usually make it through this so it's a case of we can't say you know every 24 hours to 48 hours we have to kind of live hour by hour so if you get through the next hour work towards the next hour so it it went like that for quite a while um Mm. i think i think it was probably about day 10 11 maybe that they started to try and wake him up Um, but he didn't tolerate it so they had to put him straight back under. And they did that three times. When you say he didn't tolerate? His um, head, the pressure in his head, um, which would have resulted in more brain damage if they'd have carried on trying to wake him up because there was too much pressure. So they had to keep, you know, keeping him relaxed and mm. kind of stable enough for him to recover enough to come out of the coma. In this time... You're going through some pretty mm-hmm. um, interesting experiences, to say the least. Mm-hmm. I guess very fractured memories is, is the yeah. only way to put it. Just talk to me about what you remember of that time. Well, so while I was in the coma, it was very, very surreal. It's profound, basically. It's like I have the memory of what actually happened wasn't 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 there when I came came through. But while I was in the coma, I had memories like for about ten to fifteen weeks of. Memories, what I thought, um, experiences, what I thought I did actually that that I thought happened. Um, so I was I was in contact with people who I've never seen before, um, know the names. Those people who were in my reality that I did know, but there was like, everything was out of character. And it was basically I was having um, I don't know, disagreements and arguments with people who uh, at the time I thought was who I thought, who I thought was close to. For example, um, Ryan Rhodes, stable mate, 
um, and Curtis Woodhouse, and Dave Caldwell. Um, there was a lot of tensions and, and things that, that was happening. And because it was such, just a, such a long time, a lot of parts, you know, main main parts of the actual um, drama that I was carrying on when, it, when I was in Macomb. I know that now it's not, it's not real, but I felt, felt like I was, um, I don't know, upset by how I was treated, basically, and not being trained right and not being uh, managed and promoted correctly. And I thought that Curtis and Ryan was, was basically favoured and, and promoted better. So anyway, it ended up causing some kind of social media friends who were, was having a lot of arguments with um, with, with Ryan. Um, and then, to cut a long story short, we ended up having having a fight. So I, I thought it was actually Ryan that put me in the in the actual coma. Um, so I thought I actually got the fight with him before all of this. Also, my dad was there was a bit of a um, bit of a lack of altercation between Ryan and and myself and some of his um, like goonies and friends. And um, those was about to set a fight, start a fight with me. My dad in, intervened, um, and he actually was stabbed and killed. And that, so this is, it's like, I know it's not real, but it's like, it's real these, yeah, it felt real. It felt very real. And that, like I said, I still have memories of that experience like I thought it was real. And I know it's not. Um, I'm not crazy. <laughs> but at the time, I thought all of that was real. So anyway, I'm going to rush forward to when I actually came out of the coma now, and I've been moved up a ward uh, from critical. Into high dependency. Yeah, high dependency. Um, and then Ryan came to visit me. And I had about six or eight family members around my bed at the time. So as soon as I saw Ryan, I was in shock because I thought, I was thinking, that why is he coming to see me? I said, how is he um, forgiving me for what I've said and what I've done? Um, so I asked everybody to leave around the, the bed um, that I was in. So I was paralysed at the time, more or less. So um, I said, Ryan, I held on to his hand and said, Ryan, I'm so sorry for everything that I've done. Um, so sorry for all the things that I've said. Um, and I, just, I just kept on saying sorry. So now Ryan's looking at me and he's like looking all puzzled, thinking, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> What's he talking about? I could see like a... Like a bit of a daze on his face was like in shock. And this is, you got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about. So I'm like, thinking, how is he forgiving me? So he says, oh, nothing to worry about. I know it sounds crazy, but it's just, it's, did, I don't know. It's, did you think your dad was dead at this I point? I thought he was dead. I thought, it was, I thought it was gone. I thought it was gone as well. But when I actually, when I was coming out of the coma as well, mm. um, just how things, my mind was all frazzled because my dad was also there. But um, and I was thinking, I, I thought I was like my mind was just in bits. It was just all, it's mad, it's crazy. But at the time, I thought I was actually talking to people. And um, when, when this is when I woke up from a coma, I thought I was actually talking to people. Not until probably about six weeks. No, it was about three weeks later. Then I realised I wasn't talking because I had a conversation with my mom, and she was saying, "Oh, you you wouldn't." Um, I said to her, I wouldn't, I wouldn't enjoy if you was a, a patient inside of me because I said, you're too annoying. You keep on asking me to repeat the same things over and over again. So you're annoying. And she says, why? When have I done that? I says, well, when I was in the bed, you kept on saying, son, say, I love you. Say, I love you. And I said, and I said, I kept on saying it. I said, I love you. I said, I do love you. Um, and she said to me, Jerome, you didn't say a word. 
But I remember the conversation, which was real. I remember the conversation that I had with her. And she was saying, you didn't say nothing. But it's just my mind was telling me that I was actually speaking when I wasn't. So I was trying... At that point, I know I was trying to... Get, get, yeah, trying to communicate, but it just wasn't effective. It just, it just wasn't right. But um, the mind is a powerful thing. The brain is... I don't know, it's, it is a powerful thing. So, you know, when it's trying to protect itself, I think. Because my body, when I was in that coma, my body was trying to recover when, when, I'm, when I'm not alert. Mm. And I don't know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm blessed to be alive still. So, it's one of the main things. Since, mm. since then, how much of him have you got back? Mm. Good question. <laughs> Is it's hard to say. It's kind of the same, but tweaked a little bit. In what way? Um, just I don't know. Um, it's hard work sometimes. <clears throat> um, just like everyday things like, you know, you, you take for granted, I'd say to you, go to the shop and, you know, get me some coffee and some bread. You come back with coffee and bread, but he can forget, like, and, I'll, mm. and I have to keep repeating, what are you going for, you know, or like this morning I sent me to bread. So what are you going to the shop for? Just after, you know, little things like that, I have to repeat, mm. you know, things and <clears throat> I don't know. I think I look out for him more now than before probably because I don't know it's not like a role reversal but like when you're in a relationship it's the man that's the more stronger one that kind of looks after everyone if that makes sense Mm. but I feel like it's me now that kind of keeps everybody in check Mm. because I mean we when you think of fighters that have had brain damage and you look at Fighters like Michael Watson or yeah. Pritchard Colon, Abdi Salamov, Edward Goodnet. I mean, when you meet Jerome, mm. he's incredibly with it, yeah. completely mm. coherent. Mm. Your speech is, is, is mm. as far as we can tell, fine. But mm. I guess there's a lot more to it that people maybe can't see or yeah. can't hear. So how, how do you feel in yourself in terms of what's there and what's, what's mm. missing compared to before the fight? See, I'm, to myself, I know I've acknowledged now that I am different from how I was before. Because uh, when it first happened, I was trying to prove to everyone that I'm exactly the same, I can do everything the same, but I wasn't aware of my actual, the, the deficits that I was actually dealing with. Because I thought, I looked in the mirror, the only thing, I did, I did see a big crater in my head, because I, I had a year without the, the skull on my head, the the pl- the, the skull on my head. So I knew that that was a problem, and I know I was being treated for epilepsy and things like that. But... Beside that, I thought I could do every single thing the same. My thought process was the same. But as time went by, I realised I wasn't making mistakes, being impulsive, being yeah, the decision-making, it, it, um, it struggles with that. Yeah, fatigue, just being drained, staying up till not even sleeping, not, not being clean, do you know what I mean? Just, yeah. just these little things that were just... Just the sort of things that just weren't right. Is there you know? physically any any differences? Physically, all left hand side weakness. Um, mm. Got a blind spot on my left hand, my left eye. Um, it's physically that way, but cognitively, it's like 
brain um, memory, uh, short term memory. Um, and it's just, what is it, like neural fatigue and physical yeah, fatigue that it can. can pain and insomnia. Yeah, the pain and insomnia is excruciating. But it's just, uh, it's hard. you know, when you're sharing your vulnerabilities, it's a bit difficult because yeah. you don't want to. I was about to, you don't want to come across as being weak. I never, I don't mourn about things like that. It's just things that I've, I've learned to deal with for so much amount of time. These problems that I've got now, I never had them before, so I know that I'm, I, I'm proud of myself that I'm, I'm managing it, and I'm, I'm finding different ways to tackle different things. And I've, there's not a day that goes past that I can forget. Do you know the. Um, the what's the word? I can't forget the actual the fight because the the aftermath still stays with me every single day. So there's always something that I need to take care of, something that I need to manage a little bit better, something that I need to you know just I don't know. Mm-hmm. Things are not things yeah. are not straightforward um, with life at the moment. So it's just a continuous thing. That that like self reflection is not easy because mm-hmm. fighters are the best liars in the world when it comes to you, you always have to say your camp's gone great you always have to say you weren't injured I haven't been hurt and you get so mm. used to that that actually mm. it's the one sport where as, as a fighter you rarely admit the things that are wrong mm. so in that situation it's it must have been hard to come to terms mm. with that you weren't the same guy as, as you were before yeah very difficult very difficult and I battled with myself a lot and I, I spent a lot of time I can solitude with myself, just, I don't know, just, it's like, like having a, like a little mini break, breakdown kind of thing. It's just trying to just comprehend every single thing that's happening and trying to just be real with yourself. But it's also trying to find out which kind of people you can actually speak to. And it's like, I don't know, it's, it is very difficult. It is very difficult to try and understand and explain. Because when you are being, um, I don't know, like I said, when your vulnerabilities are, are there, it's hard, it is very difficult to try and ask for help or try and, I don't know. I do you think, do you think talking about it has helped? Or, or like, I know a lot of people, like, they keep things and say, but yeah. do you think, like... It, just showing your emotions and, and letting it all out there. Has that helped you, do you think? Do you know what? Definitely. Definitely. Being able to... When I've been able to actually communicate what I was actually going through, it's taken some time, but when I've been able to actually speak to people mm-hmm. um, and say how things are, it has helped because it just gives you me... I acknowledge the things that are right, I acknowledge the things that are wrong, and I also acknowledge about the things that I can actually do to do something to try and correct the things that are wrong, if that makes sense. Mm. It's, so it's like like a bit of um, therapy. It is therapy when you're talking about certain things. And it, is, it helps with healing and uh, management and coping. It's just different kind of coping strategies. I mean, um, you've spoken about um, wanting to kind of do a little bit of advising maybe to, to yeah. younger fighters. And I guess... I mean, I'm not, not to put words in your mouth, but it must be important to you to to make the next generation aware of mm. the real risks that are inherent in in the sport, right? Mm. I think so. Mm. The more knowledge, the more knowledge, the better. It can't do oh. any harm, can it? Mm. No. And there's many to sides. To open eyes up, you know, because mm. there is a lot of young lads and 
I think the more boxing, to me, it's more of a a show business. It's, you know, it's every young boy's dream, isn't it, really, to go out in the big fights and, you know, walk through that crowd to your music and, you know, people cheer. It's probably, I mean, not for me, because I would never do that. Um, but I can see how young lads would swear to that. And, the, you know, like I've spoken before in the past, you know, the lifestyle that comes with it. If you do make it, it's probably quite a nice lifestyle. You do get your pick of your cars. You do, you know, have nice holidays. You do, you know, life probably is quite good for you mm-hmm. if you make it. But there are very few that make it. Yeah, I very few. And, and young kids see the they glitz see and the glam. The, the, yeah, they, they see the, that the goodness. Happen. From they, it. they don't see having they the shift see tickets and this kind of life afterwards. Yeah. Mm. I think, then, and I think I, that's what every boy needs their eyes opening to. And like I said, my middle son that's fourteen is he's nattered and nattered and nattered to do it. And mm. he's like, "I'll train him, I'll train." Him. I'm like, "No, no," and I'm dead against it. I cannot stand it. And he's begged me so much because he just wants to socialise with his friends because all his friends are doing it. Mm. So. I gave in a couple of weeks ago and said, right, you can go, but you're only doing it for the fitness side. Mm. There's absolutely no way you're competing. You're not, I'm not going through all that again. Mm. And I was kind of hoping he didn't like it. But your face is telling me. It's two weeks in and he wants to go more Mm. and more. And I'm just thinking. How do you, how do you feel about it? Um, It's mixed. Because I, I see the many sides to boxing and there's many positives to it. So the training side of, of boxing and the discipline that it takes to actually keep on going to the gym, doing the training, listening to instructions, you know, doing all that, that kind of thing can, can be a very beneficial thing, a very good thing as well. So I think that, that aspect of it is a good thing. But I, I would be dead set against him fighting, competing. Mm. I wouldn't want him to compete. Um, but it's one. Of, it's a difficult one because if you really want to do it, and it's quite a strong kind yeah, of boy as well. If he wants to do it, he'll do it. But even without like mm. what has happened to you, like I think even myself, knowing how tough a sport it is and how mm. how serious it is, and how serious you have to be to yeah. to do well. I'm, I have a young boy who's four. Mm-hmm. I know at some point he's going to ask me, "Can he join a boxing club?" I. I don't know what I'm going to say. I would mm. rather he didn't do it, but... I think every parent would. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. And I think when it hits home it. as well, when it actually happens in your family, I think you're just like 100% no way. Mm. Whereas mm. if this maybe wouldn't have happened to him, maybe I wouldn't have been as dead against it. Mm. Maybe I'd have let him go to gym with him and train with him and, you know... Yeah, but it's one of these things that would be, if he does decide to do something like that, we would make, and he was, was adamant about it, we'd have to make sure he did every single thing right. Mm. You know, so tell him everything, what it's the good things and the bad things about it, to make sure that he can prepare himself diligently for, for whatever he chooses to do. Not give him any uh, illusions about grandeur, about all these different kinds of things. You just have to say it straight how it, how it is. Do you know what I mean? But it's just... There's risk. I like to say in life, there's risk to everything. 
um, to a lot of things that you do. There's many risks, and, so, and some things carry more risks. Yeah. So it's just it's it's life, isn't it? So it's just one of these things you have to sometimes take chances if you want to be successful. Part of the the, the paradox of boxing is that you've you've got you know governing bodies trying to make it as safe as possible, mm-hmm. trying to reduce the risks as much as possible, but you've got to a point now where how can you make a sport much safer when the objective is to to punch your opponent in the head? I don't think. I don't think you can... Well, it's impossible to make it ever completely safe. Um, even even amateur boxing, which is much more regulated, they wear safer gloves and stuff. There's injuries that, that happen in, in that sport. And um, I think a lot has been done. But there's, there can probably still be a, a little bit more that can be done mm-hmm. to help to help make it to make it safer. Certainly, you know, we've seen the, the changes after... Uh, McClellan and, and Watson with them they're having sort of medics and ambulances and things on on site as as standard. I know one of the things that you guys have struggled with has been the kind of aftermath of of, of the, the the recovery process. And then one mm. thing you talked about is counselling would have been helpful. Support, just yeah, general definitely. support. You know, mm-hmm. you, the state that it came when when we left rehab. He didn't know what he was facing. Like, mm. like I was saying to you earlier, the first time I took him out shopping, mm. we went late at night, there wasn't many people around. He just didn't cope. Mm. They it's don't prepare much. them. Yeah. You know, Too you leave rehab. Distraction. They don't see properly. Things prepare like just, people uh, for the life after. Mm. You know, you're in these hospitals and these rehab places. It's a safe environment kind of everybody's in the same kind of boat, really. They've all got injuries. You're in a bubble. Step them outside the front door and you're back into reality and don't do well. Sure. I was talking to um, John Denham from Boxing News. There was a good article okay. a couple of weeks ago and uh, by Matt Christie. Um, it's a guy called Dave Harris, former fighter and promoter that's got an initiative that's starting to gather like a lot of pace um, and some good funding. It's called Ringside Rest and Care. So for those of you, if you want to check it out, you can head to ringsiderestandcare.org. Um, it's actually essentially the end goal is to have a, a centre of refuge for fighters who maybe were in your position five years ago that can come and receive cost-free treatment, rehabilitation for as long as they need. Something like that yeah. would have been great. Yeah. Definitely. Perfect. Yeah. And something like that it, it might that it must be good news to hear that something like yeah. that's potentially on the horizon yeah. as well. Um it's of course reliant on funding and donations. So, mm-hmm. you know, if anybody's listening to this or watching and um, wanna to head to the website and have a look at that. Because I think it's it's a sport that is maybe lacking in care after, after. retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, we know the problems that boxers can fall into when they mm-hmm. run out of money, that's one aspect of it. But of course, yours is a very specific instance yeah. that's has affected a small number of people, but has affected them forever. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. Um, you know, as well. You know, these fighters have day. A lot of them have day jobs. They have families. You know, when something like this happens, they can't work. They can't support the families. <coughs> what they're supposed to do. Pressure on you. Very much. Pressure on you as well for not yeah, being able to, to feel like this. You feel less of a less of a man, less of a, um, a person at times. Mm-hmm. You know when when dealing with it, it's the things that I used to do before. I was just I was just setting up my own business, um, 
I had everything in place. And then this happened. I thought I could revisit that. But the issues that I deal with, it makes it very difficult to actually do that. Um, I thought I'd try it, but that's, it was just too much. Too much overload. My brain was working too much. It's just... It's, it gets you down. So it affects you mentally as well. So it's just... We don't have them resources in yet, you know, we, and the capabilities at the moment. You're trying to be... I'm rebuilding, so I'm, I'm still rebuilding and adapting. But because not, all, not everything's there, it's very difficult to actually commit to, to certain things because you're thinking one day, yeah, you're able to do this right. And then the next day, you're not able to do everything to the, you know, to the best of your ability and do it correct. I mean, it's, 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 that's where it's a bit, where it's um, very, um, it's very difficult, and very hard to actually deal with. What is your relationship with boxing at the minute? Do you, do you still love it? Do you, but, do you hate it? I've got a love-hate relationship with it. That's mm. uh, so why everyone says it. I've got love. I love boxing. I love the the training side of it. I've always been interested in in how people move and how they train and. And that kind of that's kind of side of things that's that's fascinating to me still. Um, I watch some of the big fight. I'm like, I watch some of the the big fights. I don't I don't go to a lot of the shows at the moment because it still brings back different kind of memories when I go mm. there. But if a friend is fighting, um, I definitely make 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 my way to the you know make my way to support them. Um, but other than that, I watch it on TV now and again. I'm not as invested in it. Yeah, well, it's that's quite difficult, but it's 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 the truth. What, what's your relationship with it as a mm. as the other half of a? Don't a, like it. No. Mm. No. And I, I remember having a conversation with Ross Birkinshaw at the time, because um, he was he was quite supportive when he was in hospital, um, <clears> and <throat> he was like you deciding whether we were going to retire or we were going to take another fight. Um, and, you know, we, we spoke quite a lot about it and I just said to him, just say, is it is it worth it? Mm. Because he was, he kind of saw, he were at hospital with us. Um, he came up more stairs to come and see me and come and see him. Um... And not long after that, I chose to retire. That was through injury, though, I think. Yeah, but mm. it's when when we mm. had the conversation with him, he said, you know, it... Because, like everybody, you don't think it's going to happen to someone you know mm. or yeah. it's not going to be you, but, like, Curtis Woodhouse saw it first and Ryan Rose, obviously. Ross, they were friends with him. They never thought for a minute it'd be like he is, mm. how he was left. Um, so I think because they were quite close to him and obviously they trained with him, they sparred with him, they saw him on a daily basis, they saw him how he was, to how that fight left him afterwards, it opened their eyes as well, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think they found it harder to justify, you know, couldn't they put their families through it? Mm. I think on the flip side of that, though, because I know Kate's is still deciding to, to, to fight and compete, in different, well, in different spots. Yeah, yeah, but it's, I think it will give them more cause to actually train that much harder because they know that 
you know what I mean? It's, it does happen. These but these yeah. things can happen. It does happen mm. to so they'll put more things into place to be more organised. I'd imagine because it's that's that's one of the requirements, and some people neglect that. Talking about guys like Curtis Woodhouse, I was going to ask this question mm. because um, I, I don't I don't really know him personally, mm-hmm. but you seem to be his friend and. Yeah. Like he's talking about this BKB and stuff, yeah, and yeah. I, like, how do you feel about that? Do you think? Do you know, like I say, it's his own man. It's, yeah. it's one of these things. He is he, aware of of his own body. He, he's, he's aware of his achievements. He's aware of. He's got his own mind. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So he's the choice is all down to him. Do you know what I mean? If he actually wants to compete and try and be successful in that other sport because he's a very competitive person because mm. so I think he knows what he's letting himself in for well it's, at the end of the day it's his choice yeah. you know we have to do it not a, it's not easy listening to this and mm. as somebody that's got contemplating their future in sport how does it how does this sort of make you feel what your final thoughts after hearing all this um, it, it hasn't been easy to listen to mm-hmm. if I'm being honest and and I think the fighter is often the last person to know when it's time to hang them up, um, and that's I think that's the importance of like having a good team around you. Mm. Um, personally, myself, I just feel like I don't want to go out on a fight like that, and I feel yeah. I feel like I can still win big fights and big big names, and that's why I want to continue. Like I was speaking to you earlier, like I was a mm-hmm. I was a retired fighter in the changing room after yeah. the Warrington loss, but I've changed my mind. Uh, my wife isn't happy, as mm-hmm. you, I'm sure I you can imagine. imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, she's told me she'd rather I don't box and I do retire. She's told me she'll never go and watch me mm-hmm. again, which is understandable as well. But uh, as a fighter, I just feel like. I've still got I've still got more to give, yeah. but then you're you're trying to wear it up. I have two young kids, and your health is your wealth. Got, you know yeah, what I mean. You've got to decide what's right for you and your mm-hmm. family because it's not just you that's going in that ring. Yeah, it's, it's always, your, your partner, mm-hmm. your kids, your family. They're all there. Yeah, it's going to affect all of them as well. So, but like I say, there's a risk to everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? There is. There's, the risk is there, but you just have to make sure when you when you're training, you're doing everything right. You yeah. don't leave no stone unturned. And then that's that's a, a massive incentive and motivation for the people, for fighters to actually take on board when that to taking, you know, when they're deciding to go into that ring. They need to make sure that they're prepared correctly, because these accents. If you, I was I was prepared correctly, in the, in that in that fight, I did everything right. I made sure that I was fit. If I wasn't, I don't think I'd be alive now. The second, I think that was, didn't yeah, I think that's one of the, a, a massive thing why I'm still why I'm here speaking to you because this very idea of the injury. If my body wasn't, if I wasn't as young, if I wasn't as fit, fit, if I wasn't as strong, if I didn't have that that will to survive, I wouldn't be here still. So I put that a lot down to my training. So because mm-hmm. many people, you know, they could slip down the stairs, slip in a bath, mm-hmm. um, and I get this type of injury. Have a car crash. There was no, there was in the when I was in the hospital. There was nobody from from a boxing gym uh, in it that entered a boxing competition and sustained that that kind of type of injury in there. And p- many people come out of it very differently. But I, I I do definitely do believe it was down to how I prepared for that fight. Do you know what I mean? Which 
in it because it, like, it can happen to any fighter, any fighter. When they go in the ring, get caught wrong, just burst a blood vessel or whatever, whatever whatever it is in the brain. It can happen after can the happen. fight. Yeah, when you've slow. left the ring, you can yeah. have a slow yeah. breed. It, it can happen, and so, it does happen. Mm. And it happens mm-hmm. more than it should. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for sort of bearing your, your souls for us. Not not easy, I know I could see it at points there, but mm. glad you're here and, and lovely to speak to you and hear your story. And I guess we, we just wish you all the best with with your recovery from here on in. Just yeah, hope that every every day, week and month gets a little bit better and mm. and you get you get the help that you need. Um, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And thank you home for watching and listening. TKO uh, round four here on Joe together with 32 Red Done and Dusted uh, and an important one uh, as well. Really appreciate uh, your support and feedback and get in touch with us using the hashtag, hashtag TKO uh, on social media. Huge thanks to Carl, Jerome uh, and Michelle for, for sharing your thoughts with us and for having us in your home and uh, for you for watching. So we'll see you again uh, in seven days time. You've been listening to TKO on Joe together with 32 Red.